It is already episode 38 of Honestly Unbalanced. And this week we're chatting to Daniel Rama. So I was drawn in by the fantastic poses he was doing on Instagram. I never met him in person. And I thought, okay, this looks cool. And actually he draws you in and then gets you into the deeper stuff. And we talk about that a little bit in the podcast. uh, About how you draw people in by what kind of whatever means necessary. And then you actually get to teach yoga. So Daniel Rama is a fusion of authentic Hatha yoga and modern functional movement. His journey began with a life-changing injury with a pretty grim diagnosis. He was told he'd never be able to run again. Rama moved then instead to a simple yoga ashram and began dedicating himself to a life of sincere spiritual practice. After a pretty miraculous recovery, Rama has now made it his life purpose to share valuable techniques associated with yoga, movement and mindfulness. Together with his partner, Rama offers international workshops, retreats, YTTs and operates a successful online studio by the name of Becoming Balance. You enjoy the chat guys, you'll learn a lot. Oh, and sorry to ruin the flow, but if you fancy a discount on Lifeform Yoga Mats, which I think are the best in the world and I've used them pretty much forever, then code The Hustlers, all capitals, gets you 10% off. That's The Hustlers, no T in Hustler. Uh, but anyway, enough for me. You listen to the podcast and enjoy. How has life been like living on the road during COVID? Like, have you traveled a lot or have you kind of rooted down in Mexico? Well, for the start, you know, when COVID first kind of rolled out, my partner and I was actually just sitting behind the frame here. Uh, we were living in Calgary, Alberta. And oh, yeah. That's, uh, it was a beautiful studio that we had. It's kind of a space that we use to create the Becoming Balance app. So the first year, all of 2019, it was spent, and most of 2020, was spent just in one spot. Um, but then our plan was to move to the United States. You know, at this stage in our lives, we felt like being closer to family. We have family in Massachusetts, uh, but I was denied entry on two separate occasions oh, no. into the U.S. What have you done? It was unfortunate. <laughs> well, you know, it is difficult to get in, and, and part of um, just crossing the border is who you get at U.S. Customs. Oh, really? And, yeah. So well, like times, they're in a bad mood or something. Right. The, before I actually got to these guys, they ended up making like a, an old couple. They were like 60 plus just cry <gasps> straight out in front of me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is not going to be so good. Um, and when it got time to me, um, you know, I had all the necessary documents in hand, but for some reason they wanted to see six months of Canadian pay stubs in order for me to get into the U.S. Oh, no. And like during COVID, who is lucky enough to actually have six months <laughs> yeah. of, of pay stubs anyways? Um, so I've had to start my green card out of country. And what that means is Shakti and I needed to find an alternate place to live for essentially the next year in Mexico we have a retreat coming up in March mm. uh, and it happens to be one of the few countries that are still open and receiving uh, tourists from everywhere at the moment so it, it's kind of you'll see most of my life is just very much a go with the flow and I'm not uh, really planning anything too much um, but we've been blessed with the time we've had so far in Mexico. So what have you done? Have you rented a villa for yourselves? Are you, you, are you traveling while you're there? Or are you nesting down? 
We're mostly nesting. Um, we spent 10 nights in Cancun when we arrived. Uh, we spent the New Year holiday there, and we were kind of like in this marina area, which was very secluded. There wasn't really any party going on, still lots of loud music. Um, and then we were feeling like a more tranquil atmosphere. So we went to a tiny island called Isla Holbosch, and uh, we just spent the last month on the beach running, creating some tutorials, taking photos, eating good Mexican food. Mm. And uh, the one downside is they have no Wi-Fi really on this island, which, you know, it sucks that that's one of the reasons why we had to move away from <laughs> this beautiful place. But like I have online workshops that I'm still running in different countries and yeah. actually I ended up having to uh, push a couple of them back due to the Wi-Fi situation. So we're currently in Mexico City. Wi-Fi is much better, thankfully. And we've just been filming almost nonstop inside of this nice, quaint little studio that we've got going here. Wow. And why is that? Is that filming for an app or filming for social? Oh, a bit of both. Um, so we created at the end of 2019 um, the Becoming Balanced app, which is our essentially online school where we have practice and study and when we were in Isa Holbosch, we weren't uploading new content just because, you know, Wi-Fi, we mm. couldn't. Um, so most of it is for the Becoming Balance app. Like we've been doing a lot of breathwork sessions, stuff on mantra. Shakti's creating this, like, feel-good physio uh, series, which is pretty interesting as well. But, yeah, we're just trying to, you know, give back to our members right now. So it's a lot of filming. How do you establish the work-life balance because it sounds like being somewhere like Mexico it's so beautiful I just want to be running around on the beach all the time just fro frolicking basically so how do you right. kind of <laughs> do you have structure to your day do you sort of make a plan about what you want to do for the week or is it just very much go with the flow like you say go with the flow but um, I'm actually at the other end of the spectrum so I very rarely do things for enjoyment. Uh, that used to be how I lived my life prior to yoga. I just cared about having a good time with friends and such. But since coming to the practice, I feel that service is really the only reason why I'm alive. And so if it wasn't for Shakti, who's, you know, like having me go out on these runs and, you know, every now and again, we'll watch a something on Netflix together. We just started Blind Spot not too long ago, almost <laughs> through the first season. <laughs> well, we need, we need uh, something it, to watch actually, so we'll have a look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, if it wasn't for her, I would literally just be filming and editing all day long, answering direct messages, corresponding with other people on you know, email and social and such. So yeah, I, I need to uh, work at it from the other side where I, I need to find more ways to actually relax and, and, and be just existing so the, the answer to balance for you is get someone to enforce it for you <laughs> kind of out, a little bit outsource yeah. outsource the balance how have you found it because you've i guess have been on the road a lot for many years and kind of traveling to workshops etc in different cities and alike how have you found it during covid like having to settle like has it made you want to settle more in the long term and travel less well i found that i truly love house plants which is fantastic ah um, <laughs> yeah so do we yeah, I had a jungle in our Calgary apartment and, you know, now we're staying in this little Airbnb. I find myself like getting a towel and cleaning all of the leaves of all of the plants in this Airbnb because <laughs> it's something I love to do, you know. 
Um, but yeah, having a, a home base, it was actually the first time that I had my own space. For the last seven or eight years, I've been entirely nomadic, not having a home. Um, but it was a really nice change of pace. Um, I would like to have a, a balance, like six months in one spot, six months broken up where we're still going out to teach international programs and such. Uh, just with the pandemic, it's been so unfortunate. We've had to push back or cancel mm. retreats in Europe. And yeah, really Mexico and Peru seem to be the only places that we've uh, still been able to maintain. But yeah, it's uh, you really have to have some regularity when you are traveling, which yeah. is again, it's nice that I have Shakti with me, but also my personal practice is a thing that's really helped me stay grounded while we're kind of moving through all of these crazy places. Do you have, are you really disciplined with your practice? Do you, do you get up every morning and you practice at a certain time or is it just um, kind of more loose than that? How does it work? Well, it is every day, but it's a little bit more loose in that um, some nights I might find myself staying up a little bit late. And then I always try to get like around six to seven hours of sleep. Um, so if I need to, I do push my days back a little bit. Um, and we're also flexible to doing things in the afternoon as opposed to the morning, mostly physical stuff. I have in the morning um, a more non-physical mm. routine, you can say, that is uh, more non-negotiable yeah. than some mm -hmm. of the other things that we do. What does that involve then? Like meditation? Oh. A little bit, yeah. It follows this path of gross to subtle. I always talk about this where yoga moves from physical to non-physical. So it starts out with a few very basic energizing activities just to wake up the body, stuff like Nali Kriya, some shaking, some spinal waves, some shoulder cars. And then I transition into breath work to kind of vitalize those more subtle aspects of the system. And then it shifts over to seated sadhana, which would be considered different types of meditative techniques. There's some mantra and chanting. Um, depending on the day as well, we might do a little bit of puja. It was one of the things that I think Shakti really enjoyed about me when she first met me is doing the arati and all of these kind of mm. more bhakti devotional mm. uh, ceremonies. So yeah, it's usually about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. It's it's not a really long ordeal, but uh, it's it's kept me sane while traveling for sure. Do you do this together most days? Um, some days, yeah. Yeah, some days, yes, some days, no. Um, when we do do it together, it's, it, it is quite a special thing. Um, but at the same time, I also, having lived at this place, Shivananda Ashram, um, sadhana, it's, it's, a, it's a thing you can share, but it's also very personal. And so sometimes, you know, either one of us would need the space to just mm. like center on our own mm, as well. Yeah. Because, um, you know, for the last three years, we've spent almost every moment of every day together mm. and uh, finding a little bit of time for ourselves is an important part yeah. of, of maintaining a happy relationship, you know. Because yeah. I guess I was going to say, that put, it must put some strain on relationship to some degree, like a lot of people are experiencing now in lockdown, like being together all, all day, the time. every day. And for both of you, your work is completely entwined as well. Right. It, that, yeah. that must be hard at times. I, I hate Holly right now. <laughs> oh, thanks. 
points. <laughs> I just uh, made you tea. You know, <laughs> we basically had the same conditions as per COVID quarantines for the entirety of our relationship. So we've had a long time to work at being in a tight space together. Yeah. And we have gotten pretty good at it. So usually an argument, you know, we, we do have them, uh, but it doesn't last very long yeah. at all. And we always uh, make the commitment to come back together, you know, full force. Yeah. You guys are so sweet. I was researching you, Daniel, and then I just got completely sidetracked just looking through Shakti's Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all your videos together. Can you tell us how you met? Because I was, I was trying to scroll down, but it didn't go down far enough. So I thought I'd just ask you, love a good love story. Right. Well, we met actually at, uh, we met first physically at a workshop that I was teaching in Boulder, uh, Boulder, Colorado, where Shakti lived for almost seven years. Um, at the time, I was still living in the ashram, but I needed to leave the country every three months to renew my visa. Mm. And so I would just go teach a workshop somewhere around the world. Uh, one happened to be in Boulder, Colorado. And before the workshop, a few of us were going to this park to train handstands. And I had my handstand canes with me. And uh, at some point, this, you know, crazy cool individual wandered <laughs> up and was like, hey, can I jump up on your handstand canes? And nobody else was doing the things that I was doing at the time, by the way. But she just jumps up and throws down the craziest routine on the canes. And then uh, there was kind of like a little bit of a spark there, you know. Uh, that was the first meeting. Um, she had sent me a message on Instagram also well before. Mm. And, you know, I, I had you applied or ignored it? Did you ignore it? <laughs> Oh, I, I always reply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's one thing with Instagram is I used to send messages to some of like my idols on social media mm. and uh, nine times out of 10, I wouldn't get a response. Yeah. So I made the commitment that once my audience started to grow, uh, my direct messages, they never get above like a good 20 or so. I always... Yeah, uh, I always respond, which oh, is that's time really nice. And Shakti kind of hates it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is lovely actually because you're so right. So many people just don't ever bother replying, so I think that that says a lot. That's really nice. Mm. We, we interrupted yeah. we interrupted the story though. Yeah, we, sorry, sorry. Carry on. Yeah, so after uh, the workshop in in Colorado, uh, Shakti decided that she wanted to study a little bit more with me, so she came to take. Uh, yoga teacher training that I was helping to lead in Bali. And uh, after that training, she essentially donated all of her belongings and started to travel around the world with me. Wow. As again, during the, the retreat, um, the yoga teacher training, she was again, the only one doing like all of these cool shapes. So we kind of had this meeting around uh, functional movements, but then she would also join me as I said, for these more bhakti yoga uh, type practices. And so I saw that she's this crazy physical being, but also having the capacity to explore dimensions beyond that, mm. which for me, that's, that's my whole thing is I don't really care about handstands or any of these fancy shapes. They're purely a little bit of a hook for people mm. to come to the practice and start to dive a little bit deeper. So yeah, we, we fell in love in that, mm. that program. And uh, it was at first, you know, she didn't really know what she was getting into. <laughs> and she sold all of her belongings, but it's been a really cool journey. 
Oh, wow. And what was what are your kind of differences as it were? Like you've got so many similarities, like quite extreme similarities. Like oh, there's some differences as well that are kind of holding you together. Um, I suppose. I, I mean, differences have never really been a thing that I've focused on, mm. um, especially if you relate them to like my relationship with Shakti or the study of different spiritual traditions. Mm. Uh, this, I, I'm lucky in that the similarities tend to be the things mm. that I see and that I hold on to. I'm sure there are some differences. Well, she apart loves from, food she... and I could go days without eating. That's <laughs> and she makes one. you have the fun and you're the workaholic. <laughs> that's that's right also yeah <laughs> so did it start because obviously you I mean your handstands are just amazing did it start as a physical thing for you because I know so many people that get into a yoga initially it does start as a physical practice so has it was it like that for you or or different yeah but it, it wasn't the fancy physicality that first pulled me in mm. um, in fact when I was first exposed to yoga I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world <laughs> and that I would never do it I took like some Bikram class yeah. or a Valentine's Day special and I hated it like, what is this nonsense going on um, but fast forward a few years into the future I had an injury mm. and I wasn't able to do surgery to fix this injury I was trying all different types of uh, healing modalities physiotherapy and my dad at the time actually became a yoga teacher and oh, wow. he started to expose me to uh, techniques for visualization, for concentration, basic meditative techniques, pranayama, proper diet. And essentially, I was exposed to yoga at the uh, prime period in my life where I had no friends or anything like this. And uh, I was essentially primed in such a way that I could adopt yoga in its entirety. And uh, it was because I needed to heal that I first came to the practice mm. and um, heal from an injury that doctors told me I wouldn't recover from. Uh, but with dedicated practice, because of the level of isolation um, in intensity that I had with the practice, I was able to heal within a year. And then it was basically, how can I share all of these things that have helped me with as many people as possible and that's what led me to the desire to really get good at the fancy things like hand balancing, because mm. that's really what people want in the beginning. You know? mm. and, and it hooks people in, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I think you know, if, you, if you shared a photo, and now it's different to some degree, but if at the start you shared yeah. a photo of you meditating, that's not good. It's no. not like aspirational per se. Whereas the, right. you know, the in intense poses draw people in. And once you've hooked them, and maybe they've given them a year of practice, then you can get them into the, the deeper stuff, can't you? I always compare it to skateboarding. Like no <laughs> one gets drawn in by like someone just falling off a skateboard on, on a flat surface. <laughs> they get drawn in by the jump and the spin and the stunts, etc. Exactly. We need those fancy things a little bit. Just a little bit. Me and Adam were wondering if you were in the circus ever. No, never in no, the circus. No, it's a no. <laughs> no. He just worked so really I, hard. I did some gymnastics when I was 12 or 13. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Your, so your dad, was he always open to spiritual stuff, as it were? Or did he have a kind of a moment in his life when it came like, were you brought up in a more kind of spiritual, mm. kind of esoteric family? No, so he was the same as me. He thought yoga was ridiculous um, in the beginning, or he never said it per se, but I'm sure he was thinking it. 
Um, he really came to the practice of yoga when my parents separated, which is when I was around 19 years of age. Mm -hmm. I think we can all appreciate that if you have, you know, you go through a breakup or whatever, you start to become more curious about personal improvements. Yeah. Maybe it's to attract another spouse. I have no idea. But <laughs> he, he moved to this ashram for their yoga teacher training. So he went there for one month. And before going, it was tremendously easy for me to make him upset. I used to love not only my dad, really anyone. I was just thriving on the ability to push people into lower emotions. <laughs> um, but when he, yeah, so who I was before yoga and who I am now, totally different wow. people. Um, but uh, when my father got back from this training in the Bahamas, he was just like a rock. Yeah, there was really nothing that I could do to have an impact on his emotional state. And that was his exposure to yoga. And that was also what sparked a curiosity in me. It's like, what's changed? with this guy mm. and I essentially followed in his footsteps. Gosh, so you've got a, you've got a lot to for, to thank for him for. You know, what I'm trying to say <laughs> I can't speak today. My brain's all over the place. Take oh, over, Adam. Yeah. No, what, <laughs> so you did your you did a training. You know, you immersed yourself in yoga. And at what point did you think I want a training? Was that because you had decided on a, a new career, a new direction of travel, or did you just want to do it to kind of get deeper knowledge? Deeper knowledge, it was purely for personal improvement. Um, I was in college studying to become a personal trainer. Um, but after my injury, I realized that I didn't really want to teach things that were so physical. And of course, after having gone through this tremendous healing experience, I felt that yoga was really where my interests might lie and also where I might find my purpose. Um, so I didn't even wait to get my diploma. I just moved away uh, to this place in the Bahamas with intentions of staying there for only 28 days. Um, but the yoga teacher training that they, that they teach, it's essentially 12 years of information packed into a month. And when something is so information dense, um, I felt that I wasn't ready to go out into the world hmm. after being exposed to hmm. all of these incredible things. So I ended up extending my stay, extending my stay. And like this, it went for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, that was, that was essentially my, my exposure to yoga. Did you, did you have to pay for those two years or did you start to like do some karma yoga? <laughs> it's karma yoga. Yeah. yeah. So it's an energy exchange, like a sort of spiritual volunteering. Mm. Amazing. And then, then you got back two years later and decided, what, this is, this is me? Well, when I got back, um, I mean, at the time, a lot of the things in my life after yoga, they've not been um, developing by my desire. <laughs> they've more so been developing by requests from other people and organizations. And for example, I never wanted to become a traveling yoga teacher. I really, that was never something yeah. that I wanted to do. And even to this day, I would prefer to stay on the beach in Isla Holbosch and just do nothing every day. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel that we all have a unique skill set that we need to share with society in order for things to continually get better. Mm. So in a sense, I, I feel that these lives are not ours, but they belong to those who stand to benefit. Mm. So yeah, my, my service has kind of evolved 
based on um, what I feel that I must do as opposed to what I want to do, which is actually a much easier way to live because it's like having, you know, just two or three shirts, two or three pants. The decision on what to wear today is super simple. Whereas if you have all of these different desires, all of these different routes that you can take, then life just seems like such a complex thing. But really, when you just focus on what is needed instead of what is wanted or desired, it becomes so simple. And, you know, mm. that's where a lot of my fulfillment currently comes from, the, the simplicity of service. Mm. One thing you said there with the, uh, the job title almost, traveling yoga teacher, which has become kind of quite aspirational, hasn't it? I want to be a, an international <laughs> yoga teacher. I want to be a travel, not yoga, I want to be a traveling yoga teacher or, or like. Now, is there any hard hard truths behind being a traveling teacher? Like for me, I don't travel to the extent that you do across the world, but I travel around Europe like most, well, in pre-COVID, most weekends I was teaching in, in different cities. And although it looked very glamorous externally, it's actually kind of quite hard, hard life. Like lots right. of like land, go straight to bed, wake up, two workshops, get back on a plane, go back, kind of in and out, in and out. And it wasn't anywhere near as glamorous as one might initially think. So, yeah, so I would love you to talk a little bit about your experience as a, an international or a traveling teacher, kind of good, good and bad. Yeah, so there, there were definitely uh, moments of good and of bad. Um, but to say it a different way, I like this quote from Sadhguru. He says that idiots do what they hate, <laughs> the wise do what they enjoy, and the absolute genius does only what's needed. So although travel was, um, you know, I was always alone. Um, in the beginning of my travel, I was also wanting to save money um, anywhere that I could so that I could charge less for my programs. Mm -hmm. So there were some, you know, weeks where I would just buy like a loaf of bread and peanut butter and, and that'd be how I would get by. Um, so there were certain things that were not necessarily enjoyable. But, you know, we start out kind of in an untrained state doing things in our day-to-day -day life that we hate, just like this nine to five job, mm. you know, we're just living the life that other people told us to live. Yeah. At some point, there's a shift and we start to follow our interests. And then at some point, just the things that you feel you need to do become the source of joy and fulfillment. So... To be honest, for me, it wasn't difficult at all traveling around the world teaching uh, because I was coming directly from this sincere, dedicated space, Shivananda Ashram, where every single moment of the day was not, you're not doing something because you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You're doing something because it will bring betterment, either mm -hmm. for you or for the community. So coming from the ashram, I had that ashram mentality while I was traveling around. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, in a split second, I might have something that's unwanted or unfortunate, um, some negative experience, but very quickly was able to turn all of those into positives to see the simple fact that I'm just doing what I need to do. And there's no sense in fighting that, mm. you know, so you just got to smile through. How do you, because you keep talking about doing what you need to do. So how do you differentiate between doing what you need to do and doing what you want to do if both things ultimately bring you joy? Well, it does follow that process where things you hate shifting to your interests and eventually you find a way to make your interests directly benefit other people. Okay. So yoga, personal improvement, different types of spiritual development, 
I really enjoy them. Mm. But then it's how can I use that interest to serve other people? So when you find a way to make your interest work for others, that I believe is what you must do. That's Mm. essentially taking your unique skill set and contributing to society. Mm. And did this um, realization kind of, was it a sort of slow burning um, realization that you learned from being in the ashram or was it like a a spiritual awakening that all of a sudden you had and realized, oh my God, I need to serve the world? No, I think it was very gradual. Mm. Um, Even before going to Shivananda Ashram, like while I was still in high school even, and me in high school, I did a lot of drugs. I was a crazy person. (laughs) Um, But I also had a desire to be happy. Yeah. not knowing that that was, you know, my constant birthright. Um, but I started to find that the moments where I felt the most joyful or at peace were when I forgot about myself and did something for another person, mm. like something as simple as I remember a few times riding the bus and I would uh, like go into the coffee shop and like bring out coffee for somebody else waiting at the bus stop Aww. or something like that. Just those little random acts of kindness Um, they were, you know, seeds that I was planting earlier on, but then while doing these things, I was still leading a very destructive lifestyle. So I do think that it was an extremely gradual, uh, and chronic change. It wasn't like, you know, uh, a split second spiritual awakening. It was something that took uh, a long process. Mm. And would you call it kind of an awakening i guess when we think about the word awakening we think about once you're awake in that sense you don't fall back asleep again you stay in that state would you describe it as that or are there moments of sleepiness <laughs> sure <laughs> the yeah there are varying degrees um if you wanted to talk about it with relation to the astral system for example we've got certain energy centers that are very important for spiritual growth one of them the third eye center Essentially, if this area is awake and fully, then you see life the way that it truly is. We call this intellectual realization, not full realization, but whatever goes on in your life, you see that for what it is and you're unaffected by the comings and goings of life at that point. So essentially, once you see the world the way that it is, you are a little bit untouchable but you can still drop back down to certain samskaras that you may have had from Mm. the past. For for myself, that would be various types of substance abuse and such. And those types of cravings might still arise. But with that understanding that has come from uh, regular and very sincere practice, um, we're able to reshape the emotions behind those desires and use them for something different. It's like, even if just an unwanted emotion arises, I would never say that I'm free from anger or free from frustration. No, those things still arise. But if we see a little bit the way that life is, the way that those emotions truly are, just a moment of pause is enough for us to shift the energy of that emotion or that experience and consciously decide to do something different as opposed to just compulsively reacting in any Mm. given situation. Mm. And who have been your kind of guides along the way? Of course, you had your first kind of deep immersion with your dad, then in, not Barbados, Bahamas. Bahamas. And then from there, like, have you had teachers, mentors along the way, or has there been any 
traditions that you've particularly aligned with and followed or any lineages? Mm. Well, that was the one really beautiful thing about Shivananda Ashram in particular is uh, I was actually towards the end of my stay for maybe the last six to eight months or so, I was in charge of productions and the ashram would bring in many, many guest teachers. These are like people from Deepak Chopra to various lamas. Yeah. So I got to have firsthand interactions with all of these people that were talking about either neuroscience or quantum physics Mm. or Jainism, Sikhism, Buddhism, whatever. And so I don't necessarily have so much stored within the realm of conscious (laughs) recall memory, but I've been exposed to so many different traditions through this one place that they've all kind of like found ways to inspire me. Mm. So honestly, I've had so many incredible teachers that have helped me to understand uh, different dimensions of human experience. A lot of that was at the ashram, but as you said, my father, he was extremely important. And then even Miguel Santana, I, I, I give him credit as much as possible. He was my handstand teacher, mm. uh, circus performer. Um, it's funny, he actually gave me a lot more of the subtle aspect of the practice than I think he realized. It's, he's really just a handstand guy. Um, But in order to get those types of shapes, you need to become a certain way on the inside. So, yeah, I've been blessed with with many, many incredible teachers in my days. I've never heard that before, that to to do those shapes, you have to become something on the inside first. Well, yeah, if you look at anyone who's really good at any type of physical modality, any circus performer, they are going to be naturally meditative. Yeah. Without even trying to be, you know, calm and collected, it's simply not possible to create those types of shapes with your body mm. if your mind is just jumping, 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 yeah. jumping, doing all of this craziness. So it is one of the nice things about physical practice, physical development, is that it it leads you there. Yeah. And you can either focus on improving physicality in order to get to that more calm, collected mental state. Or you can find ways to enhance that mental faculty and eventually the physical will blossom Mm. in a beautiful way. I I like what you said there about subconscious, well, almost subconscious learning before Mm. when you were exposed to all those people. And I don't think we really give that credit. And I, you know, mm. I'll have that at times. So I'll say something that I think is just utter genius. And I'm like, I'm like, did I create? Whatever. Is that an authentic original thought? Then I'll go, then I'll go back to my teacher and he'll say that. And I'm like, okay, I'm just, oh. I'm just parroting him. But, you know, you, it's amazing how much you learn even when you don't realize you're learning just by being around a certain yeah. type of people. And I guess that makes you think, who should I spend my time being around? Totally. If right. you're absorbing so much from those people. And you, I guess, well, yeah, c- c- carry on, carry on. No, I was going to say, it's impossible to avoid. Um, there are certain levels of, of human mind that we have. Some of them are individual and some of them are shared. Mm. And if you're able to quiet the mind to a certain extent, you can actually access, without even knowing it, this shared, which we call the collective unconscious mind. Mm. And so information that other people have had access to, we also have access to. And in that sense, nothing that I say or you say or anyone says is going to be new. It's always going mm. to be an act of recycling something that has already been said at some point in time. 
And talking about the people that are around you, when you came back from, Bah- I want to say Barbados, Bahamas. Bahamas. Mm-hmm. When you came back from there, did you reconnect with the old friends uh, that perhaps you used to indulge with a lot? And are, are they still friends or did you realize you're going, to, going on very different pathways? They're definitely friends. They're all incredible guys, um, incredible girls also, but mostly I had guy friends. Um, a lot of them actually through my journey have expressed a desire um, to study yoga mm. and various types of physical improvement also. Um, so I will mention that when I was trying to implement these changes, primarily while I was healing from my injuries uh, throughout college, um, I didn't really allow myself to hang out in social settings, especially with them, because we were always just doing the same thing. And, you know, I love these guys, but I just couldn't do those things anymore. Mm. It wasn't working for me. And so for a while I had to step away completely, but after becoming a little bit more grounded in my practice and in myself, I was able to happily reintegrate and still the same things were going on. Um, But again, I felt that I was a little bit unaffected and actually had the effect of shifting people towards a more holistic uh, style of living life. Mm. So it's been a really nice journey for me to have that type of impact on my friends. Um, And then at the same time, if it weren't for those experiences that we had when we were younger, I wouldn't have learned the lessons that I did. I wouldn't have expressed a desire to shift away from all of that stuff. Yeah. If it was, you know, maybe a little bit more recreational and not so intense. <laughs> uh, maybe I would have kept that lifestyle for a longer period of time. But mm. I owe so much to those guys for wow. sure. It's one of many of the one of the many beauties of yoga is when you start to heal yourself, you're healing others around you as well, even just by leading by example. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What about your f- teaching your first yoga class? What was that like? <laughs> I actually blacked out during my first yoga class. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So I don't really remember teaching it at all. Um, what I did, do remember is sitting down, heart rate pounding. Um, I was first exposed to teaching a set sequence. So it was a little bit of chanting, some basic pranayamas. Surya Namaskar, and then 12 asanas with the final relaxation at the end. And essentially, I remember repeating the opening mantras, but then I felt so nervous that like, I just went completely blank and essentially came to after repeating Om three times at the end of class. And I'm so nervous, like, how, how was that? How did I just do? <laughs> and a bunch of people came up to me after the class and were like, wow, that was incredible. Thank you so much. And Um, I was speaking a little bit with the Swamis at Shivananda about this experience and whether or not it's true, there's no way to prove, but they seem to think that uh, one member of this lineage essentially taught the class through me. And this is one of the beautiful things about having an ancient lineage is that, again, whether we can prove it or not, we do find support from those who walked this path before yeah so that was my first experience teaching yoga Um, (laughs) ever since then I I still do feel that you know I'm a certain way when I'm just walking around it's it's me Mm. but then when I teach a class it's almost like there's another force present Mm. and 
it's very palpable for me for sure oh wow and that, as a side wow. note that is also a real benefit of a set sequence I think for new teachers, mm-hmm. set sequence right. is wonderful because not only it means you're the new teacher, you could potentially go into autopilot to some degree, but I guess also kind of ancestors and lineage can take over yeah. and still teach the same sequence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I but remember it, this it's one. It's a very simple sequence. <laughs> very simple, but it's designed to impact the body on an energetic level from higher to lower centers. So you essentially find yourself fully grounded at the end of class. And we kind of base our yoga teacher trainings around that concept of a set sequence as well. Let's slightly shift direction. So you're now you're now a very you know, well-known teacher, uh, not just known because you can do crazy shapes, but respected for your knowledge and your practice, uh, which maybe wasn't always a way. I'm sure you know, when, social, when, in, when you started social media and back when I started social media, people had a very different view of it. Like, that's not real yoga if you're putting it on social media. And now every yoga teacher, of course, uses social media. So tell us about kind of your your growth. And of course, I'm sure, you know, your growth came to the fact as a unique individual, you have skill and talent and a way of teaching that you can't kind of replicate, as it were. But how else did you just help yourself increase your growth and your access to other people? Sure. I love the question. Social media in the beginning was a thing that I didn't put too much effort into. It was just like a diary, a journal for my own personal practice. And so I was showing different dimensions of the physical side of my practice. And that's kind of where people started to ask me to come teach the things that I was showing. But up to a certain point, I realized that, okay, I'm getting like messages from Indonesia, from Bali, from all around the US to come teach the things that I'm just doing anyways and enjoy. And so it was like, whoa, this Instagram is a truly powerful tool for connecting and teaching and supporting my desire to share. So then I started to look a little bit more into Instagram itself and how to grow a larger following. And essentially like Instagram is just looking to reward what it classifies as real human behavior. So we're having a conversation. If somebody sends you a message on Instagram, the real human thing to do would be to respond. And so finding ways to connect as authentically and organically on Instagram, that's been probably the the key thing, the number one thing to support my growth. But then I've also looked into a couple of these little tools, um, things like Uh, hashtag trolling, which I'm pretty sure you get shadow banned for now, (laughs) but that's just like, go to the yoga hashtag and like every single photo Mm. under that hashtag. So people see your name. Uh, and I would just like do that literally while I was like in the bathroom or something like that. It was, <laughs> it was free time, you know? <laughs> um, Actually, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, at an event, if I, went yes. to, if I went to an event, anyone that tagged that event, like, like I guess, churned like for it. Even, even to this, when I was teaching at events, like as a known teacher, I was still going through liking. <laughs> Just in the loo, liking all the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, there are other things like Instagram puts you into a niche based on what you share, but also based on who you follow. So at one point I went through this unfollowing spree where I unfollowed like all of my old friends. I was only following accounts associated with yoga so that the algorithm would group me in with all of the other yoga Mm. people. 
Um, and so like there are a couple of really good YouTube channels that uh, share updates about the algorithm and they're all like pretty simple things. Again, they're all based just around real human interaction. Um, but yeah, up until, you know, maybe five years ago or so, I, I didn't care so much about Instagram. I was just using it freely, posting pictures of food and stuff like that, not caring about engagement. But once I realized how tremendously valuable it is, I started to use it more like uh, a tool as opposed mm. to just this random social media. And is there any other investment you've made that has helped you increase, I guess, reach your growth investment of time or money? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I've got some cameras now that they're all like under a thousand bucks, but they all suit my needs. Um, and then also basic study of photography and videography. I realized that if we're going to share these things, people like aesthetically pleasing yeah. images and videos. So I've had to learn how to create like all the tutorials that I'm sharing. They take like six hours a piece for like a six minute tutorial. Um, so all of that I've had to learn, but there hasn't really been so much uh, extra investment in that way that the main thing that I invest in is myself, mm. myself and mm. tools that I need for service. And along the way, have you kind of experienced, undoubtedly you will have kind of criticism, whether it be you know, what you're doing isn't real yoga and mm. the like, and how have, you, uh, how have you dealt with that? Yeah, so if we're still focused on social media, criticism on social for me is extremely easy to deal with. Because, <laughs> um, again, if you understand the way that the algorithm works, any comment on social media is helping you to grow your engagement. So with that being said, I just thank anyone that says <laughs> anything negative. I'm sure it's the most annoying thing in the world for them. Uh, like they're looking to get more of a rise. Yeah. But even if it was in person, you know, I, I've never, at least after coming to yoga, I've never been the one to react like compulsively in that sense. Um, I'll either walk away, I'll just be the example of what a human should, you know, act like. <laughs> um, before yoga and all of this, I did not handle criticism well. I got. <laughs> many many fights um but yeah i learned a lot from those times how not to act mm. so present day it's it's much easier it's just that's my natural state mm. Come on, Kevin. i was just going to say going forward what would you say wealth is for you yeah <laughs> there's a quote from uh, swami shivananda which was the the last kind of thing that i heard leaving the ashram uh, he said health is wealth so wealth for me is essentially maintaining a certain state. And I've never, you know, all of the different business things that we get involved in, I've never been focused on making money. It's always been how can I add value to someone's life? Mm. And if you can find ways to add value, people will always want to pay you. You'll yeah. never have to worry about money. So, yeah. I mean, wealth has so many different definitions um, but usually mine are 
not mainstream. Mm. I tell you what, That's though, so if, if you want some good quality house plants and you want to keep them looking, you know, keep looking after them, you're going to need a bit of money for that. <laughs> They're expensive, aren't yeah, they? Some of those terrifies cost a lot. <laughs> they do, but actually, I, I was uh, getting into like plant swaps and this kind of thing. Oh, that's I would a thing. also propagate my own plants, which I could then either resell or trade. Um, so yeah, if you kind of like get a bit creative, even that you can uh, you can get by with with very little. So this is your fallback on industry. If yoga fails for some <laughs> <Yeah>. reason. Plant <laughs> <Yeah>. whisperer. <laughs> when Shakti and I moved away from Calgary, I had you know over a hundred house plants that we needed to find new homes for. Wow. And I was able to sell them all within two days. Oh my gosh. And tell us a little about you. So the app you created, what, 2019, I think you said. Yeah, so the you, end of. So you were kind of, although we're not talking about money too much, you were ahead of the game in both pushing yourself out there and creating passive income. So was that, was yeah. that a big game changer for you? It was a game changer. Yeah, it started out just as a tool that we could give to graduates of our yoga teacher trainings and also students who'd taken our international workshops in various cities. Um, it, it always seems to be that if I follow this little voice inside my head, we kind of have a few voices going on. But there's one just intuitive voice that if we find a way to listen to it, every single thing that we do will lead us very gracefully into the next you know, mm. chapter. So um, I'd had the idea to create this app with Shakti for a little while. And then for whatever reason, we just decided, let's do it. And within like three months, it was released, it was produced. Um, and then COVID kind of came into the picture and we've had so much love from people like reaching out just not able to go to their favorite studio or whatever but still having the capacity to not only take classes but also those more information dense like workshops or lectures or podcasts like this one for example um, so again it's it's you know it's been just a tool that we use to add value and just like with Instagram, we try to stay as real as possible, mm. especially with our members where I'm always available by email, um, by Instagram, by WhatsApp to some people that request it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a beautiful project for us. And I've had to learn many different things uh, because it's all self-produced, you know? So I have like sitting on this computer in front of me a good five hours of uh, editing just from classes yesterday i did another interview yesterday as well so it's wow it's constantly keeping us busy yeah are you, are you two cameras are you like two cameras having to cross between them when you edit yeah usually so um i'd have probably something like this whoa, going on. whoa yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> freak me out so if anyone so, listening we just change camera angle unexpectedly <laughs> yeah yeah so uh that that's kind of like to show the behind the scenes yeah um, and this is just like my nature. I'm a super, super curious guy. And I'm also never really satisfied with like the things that I've made. So it's, it's always, how can I do it just a little bit better? Mm. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I love we, should, we should let you go if you've got five hours of editing to do. I just, for, for as, as a last question, what's we'll coming- we quick fires. Yeah, but I was just gonna say, what's coming up for you in the future then? What do you, or do you, I know you, you don't really plan, you go with the flow, but do you kind of have a vision of what you wanna do in the future? Or are you just gonna let that voice come up? to the surface. Yeah, I, I, I will let it always come up to a certain extent. Um, 
but there is the potential for creating a dedicated space of my own. You know, I've either lived in or visited ashrams all around the world, many in India, some in Europe, some in the you know, North America and the Caribbean. Um, and I have a really good understanding of what people look for when they go to those places. And then also a good understanding of the hangups that people tend to have, you know, like swamis are incredible. Uh, they're very important in, in certain traditions, but as just some average Joe walking in off the street, you can't really talk to this crazy guy wearing all orange mm. and, you know, like expect to have a level headed conversation. So eventually we'll create some sort of physical space where instead of traveling to students, students will be able to come to us. Mm. And that's one of the most beautiful things about our retreats and our yoga teacher trainings is that, you know, me, Shakti and I, we uh, determine your schedule for the coming weeks. And if you adopt it wholeheartedly, you start to notice some truly beautiful changes in yourself. And then just like I embodied those changes when leaving, also people take those things home with them. So having a dedicated space where people could just come, that would be something for the future. But, you know, there are so many different variables that would play into that. Um, like I'm putting no effort in that direction. Uh, usually I just have an intention of what might need to happen. Mm. And then some little angel just falls into my lap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm usually work that way love that let's do a few quick flowers yeah. sure. what is sacred for you sacred myself <laughs> <laughs> love that uh could you recommend a good book or podcast that you've listened to or read recently depends on the person um i enjoyed understanding yogic philosophy from a scientific perspective uh, i feel that the similarities are very powerful. Um, so Stalking the Wild Pendulum by mm. Itzhak Bentoff. Mm. If you can read the first four chapters and understand the subject matter, then first four chapters is background information. Last chapters is the bridge between mysticism and modern science. Oh, I love that. That sounds brilliant. I might get onto that yeah. one. And then, oh, what would you like to do? Is that more of in your life if you could? What would you like to squeeze into your day more? Squeeze into my day more? Mm. I don't know. They're all pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, more of the same would be my uh, answer. Just more time. Oh, more time. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And lastly, do you have a favorite mantra or motto? Um, yeah. So like the, uh, the more purist in me is like, uh, those are two totally different things. Mantra is mystical energy encased in sound structure, which I have a mantra that I was initiated into and I use it for certain uh, spiritual practice. But in the tradition I belong to, your mantra is not something that you share. It's kind of like, you know, you keep that for mm. yourself. Yeah. So I do have a very special mantra that I use regularly, uh, but I don't. But you're going to keep it, it. Keep, keep it sacred. Quote then. Let's give quote. Yeah, give us a quote. quote or inspirational <laughs> quote. <laughs> inspirational quote. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, these are the kinds of things that just don't exist in like the conscious mind. But health um, is wealth. <laughs> 
health is wealth, peace of mind is happiness. Yoga shows the way. That's the there we go. Quote. There we go. Said, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. And what do we need to tell people about you in terms of social media, courses you have on, app, etc.? Sure. Um, home base, base of operations is danielrama.com. You'll find links to all of the things that we do either online or internationally. Instagram is a really good spot to stay up to date with the little um, information dense tutorials that we've been sharing. And then if you're looking to study in a higher capacity, Becoming Balanced app, it's on for 12 bucks a month or a certain yearly price. And there we share, it's like almost 600, 700 hours of content now. And we're kind of putting all of our time and energy into that basket. But at the same time, online study is not always um, ideal. It's not always what you need to experience some transformation. So try to find us at a physical program. Uh, right now, it's just Mexico and Peru that we have on the table. But yeah, that's it. Say say hello on Instagram or whatever. And yeah, I look forward to having some interactions with both of you and with everyone else. Thank, Thank you. you. Honestly unbalanced.
Honestly Unbalanced.